Hello, space fans. It's Astronik, your virtual NASA Solar System Ambassador. And we are here for another episode of Astromedy. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, there's a comet visible at the moment, sort of. Uh, comet uh, Nishimara, uh, or C slash 2023P1, uh, will zip past the planet at a distance of roughly 125 million kilometers today. Uh, that's about 74. 5 million miles, 90 million, uh, something like that, 75 million miles. I don't know, I wrote this in, in the metric system today because I'm trying to get my American listeners to watch the metric system. Because since that's in all of science, even American scientists all measure everything in a metric system, so it just makes sense. Uh, the comet was discovered August 12th, uh, so just a little over a month ago, uh, by amateur astronomer and comet hunter uh, Hideo Nishimura, hence the name of the comet. Uh, he was using a telescope in Kekagawa City, Japan, uh, which is about 180 kilometers, keeping theme today, uh, southwest of Tokyo, where I have some friends visiting there right now. Uh, well, a couple friends, mostly co-workers. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, it was visible this morning about 10 degrees above the horizon just before dawn, and sadly today was the best, sh the best shot of you seeing it, so sorry for all of you. Sorry for me too. I did not get a chance to see it. Um, thanks to the light-polluted skies of central Florida, since, you know, everyone here uh, loves light for some reason. Uh, if you follow me on my socials, I posted a photo of one of the streets in my neighborhood, and it's just atrocious with the light. The neighbors have these soffit lights. Ooh, I whistled there. The neighbors have these soffit lights that they want to illuminate their house, except that there's no limitation on how bright it can be. And most of the houses have it so bright that their light, and I'm not exaggerating, casts completely across the street into their adjacent neighbor's front lawn, even the front of their house. And then, of course, the neighbor across the street has an equal battle going on with their soffit lights. So it looks like a stadium. Like if I'm if I wanted to go play baseball out in the middle of the street at 10 o'clock at night, I would have no issues seeing a baseball. I could probably do one of those eye chart tests from about 50 feet away because of how much light there is. And no one cares. Nobody cares except me. I'm the only one who seems to care. But I digress. Uh <clears throat> sorry, I am uh, I'm I'm battling a uh, the remnants of an upper respiratory infection that I received while staying in a hotel in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh, a few weeks ago uh, for work. Um, it was just absolutely filthy. Air the AC unit was horrible. The air filters in there were black. I pulled them out myself. I complained. They only offered me $35 credit for food voucher. Um, I'm sorry, $50 credit. The airline offered me $35. So I got a lot of problems. <laughs> and I didn't. I don't care about a few. I don't want free food. I don't want a free room. I don't want my money back. I want you to clean your room. Clean your air filters. Make sure that the next guest does not go through what I went through. And I don't want to go through that again. Just, just keep your stuff clean, man. And it, it really got me. I was out for about a week. Um, I couldn't talk. It was just, I couldn't breathe either. Um, and I, I still have a little bit. I might sound a little nasally today. Um. Yeah, my nose is somewhat blocked up. You know, trying to breathe here, all our lovely oxygen. 
Uh, so if I sound a little weird in this podcast, I didn't want to put off making podcasts. I'm actually recording a ton today, but this one is going to be the most present since I talked about a comet. Um, I'm trying to record a bunch today because I'm off all week from my primary job. So I'm trying to do astronomy stuff all week, you know, I'm trying to reset myself, enjoy what I love doing best. And that's talking about astronomy and doing astronomy things and not seeing the comet because of light pollution. All right. I want to continue on our journey of uh, talking about astronomy basics. So we last spoke about the Big Bang. Um, so I hope everybody tuned in for the Big Bang episode. And judging by the attendance, you haven't. So how did we get here? How was our sun, planets, and moons all formed? Well, let's get into it. Uh, majority of the information that I pulled here uh, is directly from NASA.gov, your best source for space information. I mean... Yeah, I'm plugging NASA, because why? He's a NASA Solar System Ambassador! Yeah, that's right. I talk, I mention that on every podcast. I think you guys can probably turn that into a drinking game. Well, to be fair, it's part of my intro. When I write any script for my podcast, I automatically keep the first line. Um, I try to change up, you know, like, Hello, Space Fans, it's Astronek, your virtual NASA Solar System Ambassador. And then I try to change something to make it not sound like it's the same every episode. But I am your virtual NASA Solar System ambassador. Drink! Um, all right. So, our solar system formed 4.5 billion years ago from a dense cloud of interstellar gas and dust. And all of this, everything I'm going to talk about today, um, the formation of the solar system, occurred in four major steps. So, step one. Gravity pulls the solar nebula upon itself. Then, the solar nebula spins faster and faster. Then, the solar nebula is flattened into a disk. And finally, the gas becomes hot and dense and forms a star. That star is our sun. So the cloud collapsed possibly due to a shockwave of a nearby exploding star called a supernova. We'll go into supernovas in a later podcast. You know, we, we'll, we'll learn all about the different types of exploding stars, dying stars, collapsed stars, etc. But in this case, we're going to just continue on. Uh, when this dust collapsed, it formed a solar nebula. A swirling, spinning disk of material. At the center, gravity pulled more and more material in. Eventually, the pressure in the core was so great the hydrogen atoms began to combine and form helium, releasing a tremendous amount of energy. With that, our sun was born, and it eventually amassed more than 99% of available matter. So if you're trying to imagine this, just imagine a shockwave of an exploding star and all the dust and gases, they all collapsed and formed a nebula. And then that nebula started swirling and spinning. It got crushed and formed our sun. I think that'd be a cool visual to think about. Sorry if I scared you. Please don't swerve and crash. All right. Matter further out of the disk was also clumping together. And these clumps smashed into another, forming larger and larger objects. Some of them grew big enough for their own gravity to shape them into spheres, becoming planets. And then the rest, smaller, became dwarf planets. And then we have large moons and smaller moons. 
and in other cases, planets did not form. Therefore, there's small bits of rock, and this, I'm talking about, formed the asteroid belt, and it's made of bits and pieces of early solar system that could never quite come together into its own planet. Other smaller leftover pieces became asteroids, comets, meteoroids, and small, irregular moons. Alright, so there's the beginning of the formation of the solar system, pretty much in a nutshell. Uh, let's talk about structure. Uh, the order and arrangement of the planets and the bodies in our solar system is due to the way the solar system forms. So if you think about it, uh, nearest to our sun are the rocky material that could withstand the heat when the solar system was young. So that, for that reason, the first four planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars, are considered terrestrial planets. Uh, they, are, they are all small with solid, rocky surfaces. Meanwhile, materials we are used to seeing as ice, liquid, or gas settled in the outer regions of the solar system. And then gravity pulled these materials together, and that is where we find our gas giants, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. So Jupiter and Saturn are our gas giants, and we have our ice giants, Uranus and Neptune. I would also like to mention that all of this is actually still a hypothesis. Um, this is known as the nebular hypothesis. Uh, it is widely accepted. Uh, it is the most widely accepted model in the field of astronomy uh, to explain the formation and evolution of our solar system. Uh, there's more than enough evidence to suggest that this is what happened. Um, unfortunately, we don't have video instant replay, you know, solid proof. Uh, but this is a theory that's been around for a very long time. How long, Nick? How long, Astro Nick? How long has this been around? Ah! <clears throat> uh, first off, the theory is credited to three different people in the 1700s. The century. The, in the <laughs> it's 300 years ago. Uh, that people put this together. Uh, depending on what article you read, you're going to get somebody different. But uh, if you do enough research, you'll realize that three people really put this together. Uh, first, it was believed uh, to be proposed by Emmanuel uh, Swedenborg, um, who was a theologian and a scientist. Um, that's quite interesting. Uh, if you don't know what that means, it means he studied religion um, relentlessly, and he was also a scientist. So we have a religious scientist. They do exist, believe it or not. Uh, I know there's always that argument against science versus religion. Uh, there's a lot of people who are all about science that are very the pope is one of them the current pope is very he's got a he's got an engineering degree uh he's very heavily into science uh he actually has a telescope that is loaned out in arizona and they refer to it as the pope scope uh it's on one of the mountains there um uh, one of the observatories and they control it from the vatican they control it remotely uh and they point at the sky and they survey it and they look for things and they study the universe uh so that's there's a tidbit you may not have known. So yes, the, the Pope himself is a scientist. The theory itself is commonly said to be developed uh, by Immanuel Kant, uh, who was a German philosopher and published his Universal Natural History and Theory of the Heavens in 1755. However, even though a lot of people think it was Kant who first came up with, the, with this theory, history shows that Kant was a fan of Swedenborg, and took his early hypothesis, studied it, and came up with his own proposal. So he took it, applied, and kind of enhanced it a little bit. So originally applied uh, to the solar system, 
the process of the planetary system formation is now thought to be the work throughout the entire universe. So this is how every star system forms, not just our solar system. Every solar system in the entire universe, this is exactly how it is formed. It is all formed in the same way. The widely accepted modern variant of the nebular theory is the solar nebular disk uh, or the solar nebula model. It offered explanations for a variety of properties of the solar system, including the nearly circular and coplanar orbits of the planets, and then the, and their motion in the same direction as the sun's rotation. Some elements of the original nebular theory are echoed in modern theories of planetary formation, but most of the elements have been superseded. Taken the hypothesis even further as we add our third person, and that is Pierre-Simon Laplace. Uh, who was a scholar of math, physics, and astronomy. He restated and developed the nebular hypothesis of the origin of the solar system, and he revamped it. He took it even further than Kant. It's also important to note that Laplace was one of the first scientists to suggest an idea to that similar of the black hole. I want to pause for a second. I'm talking about three guys. From the 1700s, they didn't have electricity then. They barely had the mechanics for instruments to understand the universe the way we do now. And I, let me mention that, yeah, they didn't have electricity in the in early 1700s. So I'm, I'm going back to uh, the, to Svedenborg. Uh, you know, electricity wasn't discovered until later on in the 1700s by one of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, that roamed to the planet. He's still technically his body, still technically on the planet. I've been I've been to his grave. Um, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, he discovered it in, you know, in the later 1700s, I believe. Is that right, Nick? I want to say it's right because he was you know one of the founding fathers. When did Ben Franklin not die? Discover electricity. It's the second version of life. 1752. Okay, I want to. <laughs> sorry if I'm if I'm spitting facts. I want to make sure I got that right. Uh, it's been a while since third. Uh, I learned all about that in the third grade. Uh, I remember I grew up in Philadelphia, well, the Philadelphia suburbs uh, in southern New Jersey. So across the river from Philadelphia, because Philadelphia had the founding fathers, it was the birth of the United States, the Declaration of Independence was signed there, the Liberty Bell is there. All of the founding building blocks of our country all took place in the Philadelphia area. George Washington had the you know, crossed the Delaware River at Trenton, which is just about 20 minutes north of Philly, the big Battle of Valley Forge, which is about 20, depending on traffic, 25 minutes west of Philadelphia. Uh, I wanted to make sure I, I got this date right. Um, but yeah, it's been a long time since I actually thought about Benjamin Franklin and when he discovered that. So I didn't want to give you false information. Can we get back on topic, Nick? Sure, let's get back on topic. We're already at 15 minutes into the podcast. Uh all right. So, yes, they didn't have electricity back then before, you know, 1752. So uh, even once electricity was discovered, it wasn't really maintained everywhere. So let, let's go with that. Um, they barely had the mechanics for the instruments to understand the universe the way we do now. Uh, they still had to hunt for food. They still had to do manual labor just to live. Um, the number one cause of death was dysentery. Um, so those of my friends who are old enough to have played the Oregon Trail on the original Mac PC. <laughs> you know what dying of dysentery is uh, in that game. Uh, this is a period of time. Three men, and I'm not mentioning the other people who shaped the 
you know, the way of the world and how we understand our planet, the universe, and all the other inventions and all the things that happened in our history important during this time frame. But these three guys, with what they had, they developed a theory. It's widely accepted today with everything that we have. Everything. They, had, they were ahead. 300 years ahead. We can't disprove that they're wrong. They knew the formation of how our solar system and planets, not to mention the idea that would become the discovery of black holes. Who is spending most of their time watching people dance on TikTok right now? It's kind of frustrating to see humanity hundreds of years ago spend most of their time just trying to figure out who we are, why we're here, how all of this works in a violent universe. And here we are. In the most advanced time in history, we are fighting over politics. People are making millions of dollars over 30-second videos on social media. And our society is just flawed with the weirdest social topics. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, it just seems like we were further ahead as a species 300 years ago than we are now. And I think um, you know we are to blame. We're, we're our own downfall there. Uh, we're, we're taking everything we have for granted. We're not using it to our advantage. Instead, we're using it for silly things. Sorry, I got a little off topic. Um, that, that's got to make you think, right? Um, you know. Anyway, uh, those three are responsible for how we understand the formation of our solar system and others uh, in the universe. Uh, there are many planetary systems like ours in the universe uh, with the planets orbiting a host star. So our planetary system is, of course, it's called the solar system. Uh, that's because we use the word solar to describe things related to our star, after the Latin word for sun, which is solus. So rocks that escaped the pull of the planets were left as asteroids, scattered throughout the solar system without a permanent home, and they travel, kind of like the comet that you know is visiting us right now, uh, Nishimara. Many of the rocks that orbit the sun in an area between Mars and Jupiter, uh, I mentioned is known as the asteroid belt, they can be very large. The biggest one is Ceres, and that has a diameter of nearly 600 miles, Oh, I went to Miles. Man, sorry. I don't know. I'm not going to convert it. <laughs> oh. Ah, sorry. Convert that to kilometers when you get free time. The many asteroids in the solar system melted early on in their history to form an iron core and rocky mantle. During, the, uh, during melting the heavier material, metal sinks to the center while the lighter rocks float up to form the crust. Bodies that didn't melt are the, a type of meteorite known as a uh, chondrites, sedimentary rocks that formed in the early solar nebula. Because they didn't melt, they're pristine samples of the original solids that formed in the cooling uh, protoplanetary disk. For scientists, they're some of the most valuable leftover materials that we have. Uh, they are the most common type of meteorite that falls to Earth. Uh, uh, asteroids or rocky debris left from uh, the era of the planet formation four and a half billion years ago. Speaking of Earth, um, should we go into how Earth formed? Where am I at in time here? Uh, should I just do a whole other podcast on Earth? <clears throat> nah, let, let's just bang through this now. All right, bonus material. Uh, let's get through. Uh, let's, let, let, let's break this also down in four stages. All right, so Earth is a terrestrial planet. Uh, we've discussed this earlier. So a newly formed terrestrial planet, it goes through four distinct stages of development. Differentiation, cratering flooding, and surface evolution. 
So uh, differentiation, uh, which is layer formation. So as a body becomes large enough to attract planetesimals, uh, <laughs> there's a word you may remember from fourth grade science class, uh, and become a planet, uh, the energy generated by the frequent impacts begins a process of differentiation, whereby the material separates according to density. Dense materials migrate to the core, attracted by gravity, whereas finer materials form the crust and an early atmosphere. The next, we have cratering. So this is the impacts and the scars of the planet. So the crust of a newly formed planet eventually cools, but the bombardment of planetesimals that created it in the first place continues. And because the planet is no longer molten, the impacts form craters. So some of the impacts may burst through the crust to get to the molten mantle. In the early stages of planetary formation, the number of impacts were very high, just like Mercury and our moon. Um, if you look, sometimes people don't understand, can't tell the difference between Mercury and our moon. Uh, they do look very, very similar. Except one's a planet, one's not. All right, next step. Flooding. <clears throat> so, excuse me. Uh, lava covers everything. Uh, while, cratering is, uh, while cratering is still occurring, and partly as the result of it, the crust of the planet fractures. And lava bursts through and flows over the land, smoothing the craters and filling them in. Uh, in the case of Earth, water vapor also flowed through the fissures during the stage of planetary formation. It rose into the atmosphere and fell to the ground as rain, forming the oceans and other bodies of water. Water flooding didn't accompany lava flowing, uh, flooding on, the planet, on other planets in the solar system. Uh, on these planets, the effects of lava flooding are more apparent. Uh, and finally, surface evolution, changing the landscape of the planet. The last stage of planetary formation, surface evolution, lasts for billions of years. The face of the planet is slowly altered by the movement of tectonic plates and the effects of the atmospheric movements with water. The collision of tectonic plates pushes up mountains and shifts continents while rain and wind slowly wear away and wear away the surface and remove all traces of chaotic early stages of planet formation. In the case of Earth, radioactivity in the core actually makes it hotter than it was when it was formed, which may be one of the reasons why the conditions uh, uh, to support life evolved. And that is the formation of Earth. So we did the formation of our solar system. We got a little bit bonus material, the formation of Earth. Uh, I think we learned a lot today in this podcast. Uh, we've learned, you know, about three brilliant minds who were able to put together the um, the building blocks of how our solar system formed. Uh, we learned about a comet that is currently visible, but by the time you hear this, you can't see it. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, like I said, we didn't even know this comet existed until about a month ago. And that was discovered by an amateur astronomer. So you don't even need to be a professional astronomer to discover things. Uh, amateur astronomers discover things all the time. Uh, once I eventually move to a dark sky, that's going to be one of the things I would love to do, is to discover a asteroid or a comet that won't hit Earth. Uh, I don't want to be known for that. Uh, but it would just be nice to discover something uh, and throw my name on it. Say, hey, yeah, I found that. See ya in another 400 to 2,000, 3,000 years. However, all, you know, certain comets have a different orbital period and then some never, you know, never come back. All right, so um, with that being said, we're going to wrap up the podcast. Uh, first off, uh, thank you for joining me. I, I, I can never thank you guys enough. Um, I joked earlier that nobody listened to the previous podcast. That, that, that was just a joke. 
you know, it is a stromedy. I try to throw a little comedy in there. Uh, I try to be funny, other as opposed to just being funny looking. I try to be funny so you're laughing with me and not at me. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, so until next time, uh, be curious, be creative, and always look up. Thank <laughs> you.